The editor-in-chief of the very athletic Bay Area, Tim Kawakami. Tim Kawakami, who has covered the NBA for over two decades. It's time now for the TK Show on Athletic Podcast Network. Hey everybody, Tim Kawakami here, TK Show, recording from the home studio. Can't be any better than to wake up in the morning preparing for this show with, with my special guest and then to be staring at his face in the morning. It's just glorious on Zoom. Ray? Uh, good to have you. Oh, by the way, it's the esteemed, the uh, r- rascal of the Bay Area, sports media, and the world, Ray Ratto on. Ray, my friend, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm still unclear as to why you're not drunk. Doing <laughs> Maybe I am. It's, it's very possible. It's very possible. All right, Ray, uh, let's have you on. It's a great time to kind of like survey the Bay Area sports scene and we were talking a little bit before, and I think there's a particular kind of Bay Area sports psychosis going on. I can't quite put my finger on it. It's out there. Why not bring Ray Ratto on when we're talking about psychosis? We can go down each team. But let's start with the Warriors. I, I get it, right? That's possibly the greatest run in, in franchise history is nearing the end or is at an end. There does seem to be like this general panic among fans, maybe even a little bit on the team. But is this a spec- specified to the Warriors? Where do you think the, the emotions are, not just with the fan base, but just surrounding this huge team? And what does this team kind of mean in Bay Area sports history? The Warriors are in in the process of about 10 years. They've become sort of the new 49ers in that in 1981, nobody thought a lot about the 49ers. They were they were a team that was mediocre to poor for much of its history, and then all of a sudden got kissed by God. And the same thing happened to the Warriors. And now 49er fans and Warrior fans both believe the championships are birthright, even though the 49ers have not won a Super Bowl since 1995. Um, the assumption is always, it's our turn because we're us and the warriors have sort of fast forwarded that process and with more reason to, because, you know, four and four and nine years or four and eight years will, will do that to you. But it does tap into what I think is the greatest weirdness about Bay area sports and Bay area sports fans is when the team is poor or average they won't go to the park and boo, or they won't get angry. They'll just walk away and go find something else to do. But when they're good, they can't wear enough Warriors <laughs> shirts or 49ers jerseys. I mean, they're they're always there when they need you. They won't like to hear this. It's a little LA-esque then, Ray. I mean, that feels like a Los Angeles fan base. Oh, I, it, I mean, I will defer to you on that, but I also think it's largely a Western half of the country kind of uh, dynamic where it's it's not life and death. It's life and a cold. <laughs> you know, it's just, you know, we're not going to be there when you need our support. But when it's time to glom onto the parade, yeah, we're going to fight about, you know, who gets to put their folding chair closest to the street. <laughs> If this is over for the Warriors, not saying it is, 
if it is, it's it's close to it. Four championships is that you know we always hear, dude, maximize the Steph Curry prime, maximize. You gotta don't waste a year of Steph Curry's prime. Is this? I don't know. It's a maximization, but is it enough for you know for in whatever tangible way you can re, you know judge being enough? Is four championships validating what they've done uh, over the last eight years, last nine years? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know why it wouldn't be. Um, you know, it's just, you got four parades out of this. What are you asking for? You know, you had, you had one parade before that moment from the moment they came out from Philadelphia. So when did you decide you were spoiled? You know, of course it validates it. And the notion that Stephen Curry is not somehow validated or that the Warriors have failed to validate his career by not winning five or six or seven, especially when you think that the one last year was kind of a French kiss from God anyway. <laughs> um, you know, how you know, how much do you need to be on the side of the winning team? And I think that goes back to the my previous point, which is they're not hanging around for the hard times, but because they fall in love with players, and I mean irrational love, and Curry is one of those guys, they will look at the, the times that they didn't win championships and they'll go, the organization screwed my favorite player, which is ass backwards, but also very fan, very fan behavior. You know, just how dare you not reward him and therefore reward me because I am part of the Curry experience, even though he has no idea who I am. <laughs> Where does this go when the Warriors stop winning championships, whenever that is? Where Does a fan base go away? I mean, they're going to fill largely. I mean, we've seen, you know, in Chicago, they're still selling out or maybe they're finally not selling out some games. Yeah, they're not selling yeah, out anymore. Yeah, after the – but that's – 20 years after Jordan. I mean, this is more than two, two decades after Jordan. This is when there's documentaries about Jordan, not actual games with Jordan. Does this go the same way? 20 years of sellouts after the Curry prime? Do, does this kind of fall off? I mean, I presuming the Warriors are going to, gonna, you know, try to win. And I, I just don't see that another Curry is out there. Who knows? Uh, where, where does the fandom go? Home. <laughs> You're going to start. You're going to start seeing tonight's attendance fifteen thousand one hundred and four, uh, because one, the price point's not coming down. No. Nope. Two, uh, fans don't hang around for the mediocre years. They will. They will go home and watch, but they won't come out to to the arena to watch because the arena experience isn't so magical when there's no magic on the floor. It's just getting in your car, you know, parking for 50 bucks, buying a $30 beer and a $25 snack. And at the end of the night, you've spent $400 and they've lost by 11 to the Pacers. Where's the fun in that? And Bay Area fans, like LA fans, they're about immediate gratification. I didn't come here to watch you, you know, not be able to handle Tyrese Halliburton. Why did that happen? You know, well, the answer is I'm an idiot, so I'm not going to be an idiot anymore. I'll watch at home. And then you tell me when you're worthy of my dollars again. And to a certain extent, that's good customer behavior. It's if I'm not having fun, why am I giving you money? 
And granted, their their bar for fun is high, but that's just who they are. It's who they've always been. I mean, the the, the Giants, and I'm sorry to make this long-winded, but the Giants won three World Series in five years. And within three years, they weren't selling out anymore because, you know, show us what's fun today. I mean, that's who they are. And that's who they are across the board. Make it the place to be. I mean, again, it's LA-esque. It's not the same as LA, but it's like there are heat moments where this is it. That's Everyone has to be there. The Warriors have been that for a while. Uh, uh, Joe Lake has been compared to Eddie DeBarlo a lot, Eddie DeBarlo Jr., um, certainly in championships, certainly in paying a lot of money, maybe in the personalities. Do you see a parallel there? And if there is... Not saying that Joe Lacob's going to get involved in Louisiana gambling scandal, but... Well, let's keep a good thought. Yeah, you know, who knows? Possibly. Uh, would there be parallels to the kind of the end years, the, uh, the, the 49ers, DeBarlo, Walsh, Seifert, Montana Young, Rice, Dynasty, and what would you see Joe Lacob doing about it? Um, Joe Lacob, to my way of thinking, will become the thing he said he's not which is no longer part of the collaborating process and more part of the dictating process. I don't think he has the patience to watch the warriors sort of go back into a glide path. And I think his response to most issues is to get his hands in deeper. And as soon as he does that, the team is screwed because if he does that one, I believe Myers and Kerr will leave. And replacing them will be just about as difficult as replacing Curry. And the other thing is owners who get involved in the day-to-day operations of the sports end of their business almost always fail because they're not as good at that. They didn't make their money and they didn't make their, you know, their empire by being geniuses about sports. That ended with George Hallis and Paul Brown and Al Davis, you know, now owners are business people and whatever you want to say about Joe Lacob's business practices. And, you know, he's turned to, he's turned to building into a cash cow. He's not a basketball expert. He likes basketball. He knows some about basketball, but you wouldn't hire him to be, you know, the head of scouting. You know, why well, there why, are, there, there are Lacob's involved in that. By the way. That's a whole other point. Whole other point. Yeah, it is. But <laughs> you know, it's my general feeling is an owner's job is threefold. Have tons of money, spend it wisely, and hire people who can spend it wisely for you. That's it. You know, it just, the rest of it is business. And if they can't do business, then how do they make their money? But in terms of operating a sports franchise, you know, have money, spend money, hire well. That is the alpha and omega of what a sports owner should be involved in. Let's skip over to the other obsession in Bay Area sports is the 49ers. We can talk about why the Giants are not in that group. They're occasionally in that group, but certainly not in it. And and you and I both, I think, see numbers. We both understand the heat of it, and it's 49ers. I still think, I think 49ers are number one, uh, even through this huge Warriors thing. Certainly Warriors have challenged them and at times been higher, but I think generally 49ers are the number one topic in Bay Area sports. They don't. They lose the NFC Championship game again. You know, whatever percentage is outraged about Kyle Shanahan not winning the big game. Although you got to win some big games to get to the big game. 
Uh, where are you on this kind of relationship? Six years in a Shanahan Lynch. Lynch is certainly considered leaving. He's not leaving now, but at some point he probably will go to TV. What's the kind of life expectancy of this this run, this this era of 49erdom? Um, I think it ends in about three or four years when Shanahan leaves because the one thing that has happened in these six years is that Jed York hired a guy and walked away. He just said, I don't want to be in the draft room. I don't want to, I don't want to know, you know, who the starting left tackle is. Just tell me when I have to write a check and tell me when I have to do a press conference. And otherwise I'm just going to, I'm just going to be not an absentee owner, but an owner who, you know, isn't part of the process because that's what he hired Kyle Shanahan to do. And I think when Shanahan gets tired of this, and I think, you know, the general standard, you know, unless you're Andy Reid or Bill Belichick is a decade, uh, I think Shanahan will either seek out another challenge or move to another team just because that's ho- that's how this works. So I think this lasts as long as he does, because I think he's established his bona fides as somebody who can build a roster. And for whatever you want to say about John Lynch, the guy who makes the last call on everything is Kyle Shanahan. No question. So so I all I always view him as the general manager and and John Lynch as sort of the assistant general manager who makes all the phone calls once the decisions have been made. Um. So well, I he's, think he's as, in as there with Shanahan. As, he's in there with Shanahan. I mean, they they. Oh no, I believe he thing. is. But I think Shan, if they're gonna let's say if they want to argue about whether to get Derrick Henry or not, Kyle Shanahan wins. Yeah, no question. His decision Matt, is the one that matters. But there's right. some there's there's I think he got talked out of Mac Jones, frankly. So like that can happen. Still his call. You're right. It's still his call. Yeah. So anyway, I think. This lasts as long as Kyle Shanahan does. We're ending runs and mini dynasties and all these things right here on this conversation. Let's. Tr- I don't know how we brighten that up, but here are the four well, It's not a question of brightening it up. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's it's an objective. Well, it's not objective because it's all speculation, but it's just an objective standard because you neither you nor I are fans. I mean, Tamika is, but <laughs> she's uh, she's the third co-host on this show. Uh, you believe in Brock Purdy? I don't not believe in him, but I don't want to say there are warning signs, but I think there's just an absence of proof. Seven games is not sufficient to my way of thinking to make a judgment on a quarterback because, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo looked better when he started, you know? So, I mean, you know, this may level off at some point. And I think the chances of a seventh round draft choice becoming sort of a modified Tom Brady are far-fetched. But I also think that for the moment, there is no evidence to say he can't do it. I think he's still a mystery. And I think for everybody who says Brock Purdy is the future, my question in response is, well, how long is your future? If he's only average next year, then people are going to look for yet another quarterback because that's the one fixation that 49er fans have that frankly should put them in jail. It's that they always want to know 
who the backup is so they can root for him instead of the starter. That's been the incredible thing is we know the obsession with four and quarterbacks in this town, in this, you know, in this universe, going back to Joe and Steve, it's, that's certainly the or, origination of it, but oh, no, gone through this. It, it, it well, before that, yeah, before that, yeah. They had a three-way quarterback controversy in the early 60s, and one of them was Billy Kilmer. Yeah. That's how far back this goes. When they he was young. always want to know, show us the clipboard. Don't show us the play. Yep. It, the, I'm just saying it's amazing. They have this incredible legacy of QB controversy discussion. Uh, and then they've gone six years and they've gone through quarterbacks like and no one has ever gone through quarterbacks and won a lot of those times. It's just fascinating. And they've they've never really had one they could stick to. One that Kyle, Kyle Shanahan loves until I think this guy. We'll see. We'll see if Brock Purdy sustains but there's probably more you know much more proof that he can do it than trey lance i mean just counting all their career college and what they've done for niners there's just much more established belief i think that brock purdy can do it than trey lance but there's time for trey lance to show that he can do it too let's talk about the giants um obviously the whole offseason was set up for them to sign somebody big and they don't for whatever you know don't get judged because i always thought he was going back to the yankees Whatever your opinions on that one was, and the Correa thing, we you know well documented. You don't get you sign, you get them, and you don't get them. There is a certainly a wave of discontents among Giants fans. I'm sure they all feel it. I'm sure Far Anxiety feels it. I'm sure Larry Bear feels it. Charles Johnson may or not feel it. Whatever in Boca Raton, Florida, wherever he lives. But are they at a crisis point for this this era? Are they teetering on anywhere really dangerous for them? Um, define dangerous and I'm not uh, trying to be yeah. coy, but you know, are they going to become awful? I, I don't know because I think that's a scouting question more than anything else, because I think what thing we've seen is that they have become major league baseball's free agent stalking horse, which is let's get the giants involved, <laughs> see if they'll bite and if they do, we can use them to set the price for the team we really want to go to. Um, and that's what that's what the Aaron Judge thing was. Sure. I mean, there, there was no chance he was coming here. Not ever. Um, that video was a joke, right? I mean, him in the hotel. I Once I saw that, I said, it's not happening. It's not happening. No, no. It was, yeah, it was too performative. Yep. Um, the Correa thing um, was different because... I think ultimately, while the the physical made them skittish, it gave Charles Johnson a chance to phone in from Boca Raton, call his son Greg and say, are you nuts? We're going to sign this guy till I'm 102 years old. Are you an idiot? And I think ultimately he's the one who pulled the plug on it. I, I had sense of that and kind of suggested it and i've been since told that is absolutely not true but we don't you know we'll never know that the johnsons were on board with this probably didn't you know love the dollar terms but like yeah i i do have questions about whether the johnsons are in play for this new era of economics and baseball given the downtown you know situation where they had so much of their attendance and we know how much of their money is tied into the attendance that is not wiped away. If people aren't downtown, they're not going to games after work uh, in downtown San Francisco. That's what I'm talking about. Because I think I don't think it's going to be a bad team. It wasn't a bad team last year. It, it was fell way short of expectation. And I think that they might be a little bit better. They might win 85 games, might win 86 games, might make the playoffs. But if you're doing it without a star, if you're doing it without the hope of this 
pipeline from the farm system. If you're doing it in, you know, the division where the Dodgers are, which are over gonna, always going to overshadow you, possibly the Padres now may, and maybe even Arizona, given the state of their farm system, which is very good. That's what I'm talking about, like the dynamics of it. And we keep talking about fan. I don't want to just but, it, you know, we know how important economics are, certainly in baseball, where you're not splitting that massive national TV deal like the 49ers are. Where do they end up in three years? I mean, I mean, that's what I'm talking about. Like, are they just out of the picture the way we've seen whether the Sharks ever were, whether the A's ever were? I guess the A's were years ago. I'm talking about the Giants falling back like that. Maybe not to that depth. But where we just don't talk about them that much. We really didn't talk about them much last year, right? I mean, is, can the Giants survive that? And what happens if it does happen? Um, I think their biggest crisis coming up is not on the field because I think for his failings to get the farm system to produce something, Farhan Zaidi is still a competent to competent plus general manager. But I think their crisis point comes when Charlie Johnson either passes or decides to sell, because at that point, their future is tied entirely to who buys it. Um, and it's not a matter of the Giants becoming unprofitable because I mean, they're swimming in money, too. It's a question of whether the next owner is more like Paul Allen than um, John Fisher. If they get somebody who wants to just nickel and dime and profit take, yeah, the bottom can completely fall out because those guys never win. You know, and the one thing about San Francisco is they're not sitting through a building process. You know, that that's not... That was Sabian's big thing, right? Like, they're not rebuilding. You can't rebuild... Now, he was talking about the debt service, which is is no longer in existence. But I think that was accurate. Like, you just can't just rebuild, take a three-year rebuild with the San Francisco Giants. I, I really do agree with him on that. No, th no, this is a label shopping town in ways that other cities aren't. And they want to know, is it cool to go to the ballpark and tell your friends the next day that you went to the ballpark? And take a selfie and post it and all those things. Yeah, you know, it's and right now it apparently isn't cool. And for some reason, it wasn't cool last year when they won 107 games. Um, I think winning those three World Series was the best and worst thing that ever happened to them because it suddenly raised the bar for who and what they are in the minds of the people that take your attendance from 24,000 to 40,000. And now it's more of an instant gratification type of team than it is a I'm a giant fan, true and true, and I'm going no matter what. You know, they they fully graduated now from the candlestick era. And now they are in a place where they're not getting 40 every night. Okay. They're going to have to work their ass off to get 40. And the notion that winning alone will do that, I think, was pretty much scotched last year. Two years. And when I say last year, I mean 2021. Yeah. yeah. Because um, they didn't routinely sell out on a team that won two out of every three games for six months straight. They are a team that now has to prove it to their fans. And their fans used to be, you don't really have to prove it because we just love you. Now it's, now it's incredibly conditional love. And in fact, I'd say it's conditional like, because, you know, 
when they were winning two years ago and they were drawing 28,000, that's 12,000 people who probably sat at home and watched it, but, you know, weren't in attendance, didn't give the park, didn't give them the parking fee, didn't buy the cha-cha bowl, didn't do the crab sandwich, all, none of it. And they just said, yeah, we like you. We just don't love you enough to be there. And I think that's, that's a thing that I think caught the Giants by surprise because for the most part, they'd been a sellout machine. They'd been kind of like the Cardinals and it turned pretty quickly. First one, when COVID hit and two, when they became uninteresting. And the weird thing about that is in their three world series runs, who was their biggest star? Who was the guy well, you had? Lindsay Kim to start. Lindsay Kim for sure. Right. Yeah. He qualifies. But he was there and then gone. Yeah, yeah. He was still around. He was still around. But yeah, by yeah. by even twelve, it was a lesser thing. And fourteen, he, he yeah. did not play in the playoffs. Posey, you know, in a different way, you could still like, a landmark figure. But you're right, not not the reason why people perhaps buy tickets. But you know, you know, listen, Posey only gets larger in the memory now that he's gone, and they don't have anything of any relevance to to, to replace him. Um, and you know, there still was like, – they, they had stars. But I think the criticism I had of them before the championship started was they were banking all on personalities. It was the giraffe and the panda and, you know, all you – know, Lincecum was in massive, but they weren't winning playoff games. Maybe they have to lean back into it. I don't know. I mean, I don't even know who you – is there some marketing campaign you could run a, a, around Mitch Haneker uh, that I'm missing or Michael Conforto? Uh, probably not. That That's where they kind of run into a problem is – Farhan Zaidi, who you know I believe is really sharp and I trust his way of thinking about building rosters, is the anti that right. The whole A's thing is we don't do that crap. We just put baseball players on the field that other teams maybe don't you know value because they're looking for marketing or they're looking for other things. I always say with Billy, the last thing you ever want is for your favorite player to be kind of talked about a lot on the A's because then Billy's going to trade him. Like he likes the under undervalued, underappreciated. But the Giants are in this situation where they need that stuff. And so that's going to be like, I don't know that Zaidi was 100% saying, yeah, we need to put $350 million down on Carlos Correa. That's really a value play. Uh, you know, he kind of has to go contrary to his inclinations. But he will at some point, right? He ha I mean, he was going to, and he will have to do this. I don't know. And here's the reason why I think that. Greg Johnson is the guy who runs the non-baseball part of that team. It's not Larry Bear anymore. Larry Bear is a guy in an office, but he's not in a lot of the heavy decision-making meetings anymore. This is a different kind of operation, and it is less focused on we've got to get names, we've got to get stars, which is why this offseason was so weird. I mean, Farhan Zaidi said, we will not be outbid on anybody, which was a stupid thing to Did say. Did he say that? Oh, man, I, I missed that part. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, it, it was a stupid thing to say because he can only control his bid. He can't control what anybody else bids. Yankees. Yeah. And, no. you know, and then when they doubled down on Correa, it almost seemed like a desperation play. It's just, we got to spend money on something because I promised and that didn't happen. And then the Correa thing blows up because I don't believe they are as tied to the notion of stars as they used to be. And I don't think that's just a Zaidi thing. I think that's a Johnson thing. Mm, interesting. 
Interesting. Um, I mean, I could be wrong. I mean, in five years, well, in five years, I'll be retired, <laughs> so I won't have to care. But I think the Giants don't do business that way anymore. And I think they've decided that if you can't spend with the Dodgers and Padres, then you've got to do this a different way. And they don't have an excuse for not spending, except that Charlie and Greg don't want to spend. So then where are you? I mean, you're not Bob Castellini. You're not Bob Nutting. um, But you are a team that suddenly is budget conscious in a way that they never were before. What, what they need is Marco Luciano to turn a superstar or Kyle Harrison or whoever. Yeah. And then that's been the big void, right? That's the expect that you could count on Zaidi to do anything you want to, but just begin a pipeline was, I think, the number one presumed thing. And that has not happened. And I, I, I've said this for a while, like his fate is tied to those players getting somebody yeah. out of that system, not only just to fill spots, but they haven't even done that. It's to create stars, Posey, Lincecum, Kane, you know, Bumgarner, like that era of Brian Sabian, which he ushered those players through were the whole reason why we're talking about the Giants like this. And that has not happened with Florence Heidi. That That's what I think they were hoping for. And that has not happened. Yeah. I mean, and it, the funny thing was that Zaidi was, you know, he's a modern general manager in that he crunches numbers more than he does anything else. Sabian was a scout and he built a scouting network and could find, you know, the the guy who didn't seem like he was going to break out like Lincecum. And he broke out. At least he did for a while. And he found Posey. And, he you know, he, he found all those guys. And then he backed and filled with veterans who could who could be helpful. You know, the Cody Rosses, the Hunter Pences, et cetera. And that somehow worked because the other thing that he was really good at was building rotations and building bullpens. Dick Tidrow, man. Dick Tidrow in there yeah. right next to him. And and the, the thing is that even now with the new stupid rules that are helping convince me more than ever that <laughs> Rob Manfred is a secret agent for the NFL who's destroying <laughs> baseball by showing how much he hates it. Um, it's still a pitching in, it's still a pitching in defense world. It certainly is in San Francisco. And pitching and defense isn't fun. They like bombers. You know, the fans like bombers. I mean, they were selling out year after year when Bonds was there, when Kent was hitting in front of him or behind him, when Rich Aurelia fell into 37 homers. That was the novelty. And the novelty lasted until, you know, Bonds basically ran out of gas or got told he was out of gas. And... Even through all those years, Brian Sabian was going, we're going to pitch, we're going to catch, and we're going to we're going to have a bullpen that nobody can touch. I mean, when you look at historically that bullpen and how few changes there were in it over that five-year period, it's not unprecedented, but it's damn close because every bullpen gets rebuilt every year by every general manager. And Sabian was the last one to have a bullpen where you just go, I know Affelt's there. I know Romo's there. I know Nen's going to be there, and then Wilson's going to be there. I mean, they, I see, uh, they yeah. yeah, and yeah. you know they didn't make changes because they didn't have to, and that's a rarity in baseball. And the Giants now ordinary bullpen, ordinary rotation. Last year they didn't even catch the ball. It's a miracle that they won eighty-one games. It with is. It. 
It is. It's seen as such a terrible team, and then somehow they, they papered it away to an 81-1 team, only six out of the last wild card. Well, I just want to quickly just run through. You're in the radio business now. You're writing some for Defector, I know, and, and other places, but you're not a column. You're as pure a columnist as the Bay Area is going to ever have. Uh, and I hate saying this while you're there, but one of the most gifted writers you know, this world has ever seen. Wow, are you uh, full of crap today? I know. It's just, I am drunk. My God. Uh, I hate saying these things. But I do it to set this up. I mean, do you miss the writing? Do you miss the columnizing? Do you miss going to games? Sitting next to me? I mean, good Lord, anybody would miss that. Uh, or is radio the natural progression for you? Um, when I signed up at Defector, um, I got reminded how much I missed the writing. And I get to write a lot there. They they let me go. And writing's what I am. I mean, professionally anyway. I get more of a kick out of writing than anything else. The radio is the thing I do for benefits. I mean, it's not hard work. Um, but the thing that I get the most jazzed about is when I'm typing something. That's uh, who I am and you know, for good, ill, or evil. Um, it's the thing that's the most fun for me. And it's how you think, right? It's how you, you can tell, it's how you approach the world, the sports world, not the world world, maybe the world world too, is by thinking it through as a writer. Is, and, and just think that's how you and I kind of are similar, if you would, would, would cop to that, as we think of things through writerly ways, uh, which I think helps everything. You know, I don't think yeah. you could think a thing as a radio person and become a writer as easily as you can think of things as a writer, at least the process, the reporting, the work, the structure of it, and then go to radio or God knows podcasting and that, that horrible endeavor. Um, but you got to think a, of it through the writer first. Yeah, there's a, yeah, there, there's a difference though between radio and podcasting in that in radio, at least in sports radio, they want you to play the hits every day. Oh, yeah. And in this town, it's 49ers, Warriors, Giants. I mean, the A's are a fascinating story, but they believe that nobody wants to hear it. So it doesn't get discussed. Nobody talks about the fall of the Sharks. That's a fascinating story, yep. but it doesn't get talked about. College sports in the Bay Area has largely disappeared from the landscape entirely as newspapers have shrunk, as you know, everything has been basically geared toward those three teams. And it's a much less interesting landscape. We are not serving the the millions of people who like soccer, you know, who watch the World Cup, who are invested in more than just the U.S. team. When we we miss a lot more than we get. And one of the things about writing is you get to pick your own subject and you get to be interested in what you want to be interested in. And I think the oppressive nature of how audiences are garnered in radio. And I think this is probably true across the country is they, they tell you outright, just play the hits, play the hits, play the hits. And I don't have that many insights about Brock Purdy <laughs> in the middle of February. I just, I, I don't think anybody does. And I think anybody who says they do, they're just repeating the same crap they said the day before. It's just, it's, it's a frustration, but I, and trying to choose to get over it because I'm still doing this. You took the job, Ray. You took the yes, job. Yes, I did. <laughs> and I knew it was dangerous when I took it. Yeah. And uh, I do the same things essentially on this podcast. But I, I'll just say it's just been 
what's been fortunate for me is my main interests line up with what people want to talk about. You know, that's not my choice. I understand somehow it's limiting in a lot of ways, but I started this business covering the Eagles, NFL, and then I covered the Lakers, NBA, and it just translated very well to come. And I was born in the Bay Area, obviously, and it just has... I don't even have to think about it. These are the things I'm interested. I just didn't ask you about the A's. You know, that's certainly we could have. I didn't ask you about the Sharks college. Well, this has all happened. Uh, but um, my interests and I think the most interesting things to talk to is just line up with the Bay Area right now. All right, Ray, let's end this with a version of a question I ask everybody. I don't think I've ever asked you this specific one. Ray Rattle, what's your favorite TV show right now? Right now, it's, right a, now. British, it's a British show called Taskmaster, which is a... It's two comedians giving preposterous tasks to five other comedians and watching them struggle with it. <laughs> and you just laughed your ass off for 45 minutes straight. Um, it's incredibly clever. It's also incredibly stupid. But it's not stupid in the traditional TV way where it was, I know, let's get five rich women who are married to rich guys and have them scream at each other or let's let's you know show people who work work as deckhands on a boat and they take on guests and they you know turn everything into a mess it's not reality tv it's better and they've done 15 series of it and it's never not great and you know i would highly recommend it to anybody start from the beginning was it BBC? It, what, what was it on? Um, it's been on BBC. You can get them on YouTube. Um, it's a basically it's a it's a guy named Greg Davies who is he's six foot eight, which is important only because he's sort of this towering bully who is sort of the taskmaster. And then everybody around him are people who do most of the heavy lifting in terms of the laughter, and they always get great comedians who are up for anything. And who are funny while they're being up for anything. Uh, I just, right now, it's the thing I like the most. I mean, there are serious shows out there too, but that's the one I will seek out when I've got nothing to do on a night. You're a comedy guy, right? I mean, I see you on Twitter having interchanges with comedians. Uh, I didn't really know that. I just see it and, and, I, and I know you keep abreast of it. You're not, you know, you are on to the, some of the real cutting edge comedians has that always been something you've been interested in? have you ever and have you ever thought about trying that out yourself um i like seeing people laugh and whether i'm the one making them laugh or i'm just in the room when they're laughing laughing's fun and i guess i've been into comedians for a while in part because a long time ago i was a very irregular uh, guest on the old alex bennett show mm, that's right um, and they would have comedians basically every day. I mean, I I got to meet a number of comedians before they made it big. I mean, I knew Patton Oswalt before he made it big. And when I say no, I mean, I was in the room with him. It's not like, you know, we exchanged, you know, blood types in case one of us needed a kidney transplant. But I learned first to answer your question about whether I considered doing it. I learned a long time ago that it's a weird life and it's a life that is largely full of having people tell you you're not funny because the comedians you see on television have all been doing it for 15 years. And for most of that time, they've been heckled and yelled at and played before crowds of six. I mean, it's a, 
it's it's a brutal thing. And I don't know that I have the guts to do it. In fact, I know I don't have the guts to do it. But I do like the people who do. Did you like we were doing that Comcast show? We could do a whole show on the Comcast show. Maybe we will in the future. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, yeah. They had they had comedians in right for a while there because they were had some deal with Cobbs. I think where they yeah. promote Cobbs. I don't remember you like talking to those guys too much. But I mean, I would kind of chat with them. There were a couple of big names came through there. Um, but did you and and was that part of like your comedy thing? Um, no, because by then I already like I knew most of these people. I mean, like Laurie Kilmartin, who was a writer on the Conan show for years, came in one day and she remembered me from Bennett. Um, I, I, I didn't sort of, you know, go on to the comedians much because they'd come in, you know, do their segment on Chronicle Live and then leave. And, you know, if I was, you know, in the room with them, I'd, you know, I'd say hi and shoot the breeze. If not, no. But, you know, it was it's just sort of a thing where they didn't hang around after because they had a show to do as soon as they were done with their segment. So it wasn't a, hey, let's go out and get a drink. And I'm not sure they would have <laughs> drunk with me anyway. But no, I just I've always liked the process of, you know, making people laugh. And even though I'm not particularly good at it myself, um, I like to watch the people who are craftsmen at it. I, I can remember one time uh, on the Bennett show, um, I'd said a couple of things that struck people as funny. And Patton Oswalt said, and during a break, he said, have you ever thought about you know, doing stand-up? I said, hell no. I said, I can, I can make somebody laugh. But you have to make somebody laugh for 45 minutes. That's a pro. I can't do that. And I know I can't do that. And I'm not willing to try to do that. And the thing he said to me was, well, you get it more than most of the people in the business. Because hmm. it's not about 10 minutes. It's about, you know. Oh, it's a structure. Yeah, it's a it's a wa waving in and out. You watch a Richard Pryor show and it's structure. Oh. It's not boom, boom, boom. It's da, 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 yeah. da, da. Way up, laugh, laugh, down, you know, da, 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 da. way up, laugh, laugh, laugh. It's not bam, 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 bam. No, you know, and that. it's also it's also incredibly tightly rehearsed is the other thing that I, I learned is that if somebody's doing even 15 minutes, that was, that used to be 45 minutes, then they scaled it down, then they scaled it down again, and then they did it over and over and over again, and they did it in such a way that it always seemed like it's the first time they ever did it. And that's that's the people who make money doing. Well, you watch Seinfeld, like you can see replays of a Seinfeld show and it's almost exactly the same. And I don't say that in a critical way. I say that's how a pro does it, right? It's how you play a you play a song the same way because you have you've you've reached a point where you know exactly where that should go. So geez, we could talk about this forever. Uh we'll get we'll get you back on if uh, you yeah. are willing. We could talk about this. We, I do there's a chronicle live thing going retrospect in my head. I don't know if you want to do it, but it's worth talking about. Uh, you're I, haunted. Uh <laughs> no, I just think it was an interesting moment in time. Not that it was an important one, but it was a moment in time of, of a show that was not that great, but you know, it did come. It should have been better than it was. Absolutely, you and I have had many discussions about that one at the time. But I think people sort of remember it. It wasn't like the sports reporters, legendary Chicago show. I think it's still going on, but it was the Bay Area's attempt at it. And you and I were in the middle of this. Uh, I kept on trying to get uh, Steve Berman, our, our meteorite, back when I had any uh, power at the Athletic to do it. He didn't want to do it, and I I might end up freaking doing that thing. 
I just think it was a very interesting moment in time. And people sort of miss it, sort of don't, but we'll see. I don't want to keep talking about it, but maybe I we'll think see. for the most part, people have forgotten it and for <laughs> perfectly good reason. I'm going to remind them how much they dislike that show. Come on now. Hey, if you want- well, I, have, a, I have faith that you'll do that. If you want any sort of look back and you're listening to this podcast- you can email me or no, don't email me. Actually, I don't give an email. You, <laughs> you can cool. tweet you to me, thinking? tweet to me and say, well, you know, that's a pretty good idea. Or you can tell me how stupid it is. I don't care. Uh, all right. You know that's what? enough of this. Don't that's even enough. ask them. Just do it. <laughs> it's a thing that's itching at you. Just do it. Uh, we'll see. If they if they read it, they read it. If they don't, they don't. Uh, I'll have to think about this one. All right, everybody. Uh, thank you so much, Ray, for this great conversation. Let's do it again. Let's have dinner. We, 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 uh, we are yeah. each other at dinner. And, I'm occasionally uh, hungry, so yes. Yes, we've done that. We've had uh, we've had Kobe beef together, so that's a rare yes. thing. <laughs> the look on your face when that little piece of silver dollar meat came out it was was priceless. I and was yeah, I, I was expecting like four ounces of something, <laughs> and what I got was about a half an ounce. It was looking at me and flipping me off and going, "Yeah, it's ninety bucks. Shut oh, up!" Thank God we got extra plates with that one. I'll tell you that. Uh, yeah. All right, everybody, we could go on and on. That is probably I, I was asked to do a tell Ray Rado story on the on your radio station last week, and I could not come up with one. That, that's the story I probably would have come up with. That was my fault. I dragged you into ordering Kobe beef, and the look on your face was tremendous. So, all right, everybody, thank you so much, Ray. Uh, that's the show for today. <laughs>